0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast.
1: Even before Russian tanks started rolling into Ukraine, there were storm clouds on the horizon. The cost of capital is moving up, and inflation is looming large for the post-pandemic economy. For all the confident talk of a soft landing from the fiscal wonks, the prospect of a recession to come is likely. Meanwhile, globalization's engine is stalling, China's economy is going to struggle to hit 5% this year, and oil imports may fall again, having dipped in 2021. That, by the way, was the first contraction for 20 years. China's property market is riddled with risk, and its slowing construction industry has resulted in lower steel output as demand for the metal plateaus. Once you add in a recalibration of world trade, as Russia is unceremoniously unplugged from the global economy, It becomes clear that there are more downside risks than upside potential for ship owners to latch onto at the moment. And yet, in shipping, as ever, amid the chaos, there remains a hardcore optimism that against all the odds, profitable plays are not just possible, but probable. So, as we launch our latest Lloyd's List Outlook, offering a quarterly health check on all of the major sectors and where they're going, I've pulled in a handful of our analysts this week to offer the inside view on their respective beats. A quick plug before we kick off. Loy's List subscribers, you get access to the Outlook, which is now available on loyslist.com. It contains all the usual data-led analysis of the key markets, regulation, finance and insurance and much more besides. If you're listening to this thinking, that's something I would like. And let's face it, why wouldn't you want a market-leading forecast of the shipping industry from its foremost thinkers? Well, good news, you can get access when you subscribe. Go to loyslist.com top right-hand corner of the screen, and you'll find a subscribe button. You can follow the links from there. It will improve your life, offer you success beyond your wildest dreams. We also do a good line in shipping analysis, so take a look. But for now, on with the podcast. We're going to give you a, a quick run through dry bulk, tankers, the order book, and regulation. But let's start with containers, where the party continues despite all of the storm clouds. James Baker, our containers editor, joins us. James, the lines are, well, they're paying hugely inflated sums now for vessels that were being scrapped just three years ago on the basis that they were uneconomical and technologically obsolete. But the reality is they're still going to make money this year because the freight rates are eight to ten times the long term average. So come on then, when is the party going to be over?
2: Well, I think we've got at least another year. Um, Most of the carriers that publish their results have forecast that they expect their earnings to be pretty much on a par with last year's record-breaking earnings, where we've got figures well over $100 across the industry. Um, There's no reason to see that stopping this year. They've just been signing long-term contracts for this year that have been at twice the rate that they were bringing in last year so they're locking in these really high rates Um, there is a little bit of what at the moment looks like temporary uncertainty we've got particularly the issues in Ukraine we've got what's happening in China um, this risk of recession if that does affect consumer demand then yeah absolutely things could, um, could eventually slow down but there seems to be so much demand still out there and with things like the China situation, um, if that's going to lead to shortages in the supply chain, then when things clear up there, there's going to be the obvious whiplash when suddenly all of that pent up supply will come flooding back onto the market. Um, everyone will be trying to get space on ships and spot rates will surge back up again, um, despite having come down since pretty much the beginning of the year. But we're still looking at rates ridiculously higher than where they were last year. Um, so, yes. Things, things looking pretty good at the moment. Um, further down the track, I mean, one of the the other risk factors, I suppose, is the increasing costs um, with what's happening with Russia. It's pushing up oil prices, obviously. Um, that does lead into bunker costs going up. So there are risks on the horizon, but bunker costs can be passed on to, to shippers. So shippers are going to have another bad year. Carriers probably another good year at the moment. Um, the only other risk we can see coming down the pike is. The regulatory risk, Um, we're getting a lot of sort of noises off coming from Washington at the moment, which may or may not lead to something. Everybody sort of always talks about breaking up the alliances when they're in power until they look into it and then realise that they're probably not quite as bad as they made out to be and could actually lead to a worse situation if you did break them up. So it's worth keeping a weather eye on though. But otherwise, yeah, things are looking pretty happy in the, the world of container shipping.
1: Excellent. OK, well, moving on to the bulk sector, where there is still a party spirit, I would say. Nida Baggs, you've been covering this for The Outlook this uh, this time round. What, what do you think? Is there, is there still the optimism there on the, the dry bulk? And, and how has it been affected by the disruption caused in, in the Ukraine war?
3: Yeah, well, so far it's... Um... I mean, that's pretty much what uh, what you know people are expecting. Um, rates uh, will likely remain at healthy levels. Um, we are entering a, a, a the second quarter, which is um, seasonally stronger than the first, um, so we should see a continuation of that. In terms of the different um, market segments, um, we've had the Cape sizes um, trailing the other segments for for much of the first quarter. But there's hope um, that Brazil will ramp up its iron ore exports. Um, they had a, a, a few issues in the first quarter, which, which you know, meant that it was a pretty subdued quarter. Um, it has the Cape size segment has little exposure to to what's happening in the Black Sea region, um, so we should start seeing a, a lift in rates, you know, once those those the activity out of Brazil picks up. For the other segments, um, which are more exposed to to, to the shake-up in trade flows um, as a result of the Black Sea conflict, um, you know, we, sh- we should see generally uh, an increase in tonne miles, you know, for, for commodities like, um, like coal or, or steel or, or grains um, or even fertiliser. If the alternative suppliers can pump up the volumes, so I've I've heard recently that India is looking to ramp up its wheat exports, for example, um, to about seven million tons. You know, which should meet some of the shortfall in in Russian Ukrainian supplies. Um, obviously, it's not going to uh, to fulfil the, the shortage, but you know, something is is better than nothing. Um, also, looking to see you know more additional volumes um, coming out of out of South America and the US. Um, so that should also keep, um, you know, rates, rates fairly healthy, I would say. Um, there, I mean, there is, you know, there's always risk factors. Um, so, you know, so one of them is that, um, you know, the lost volumes from the Black Sea region will, you know, will outweigh the any increase in, in tonne miles. Uh, There's also the longer term impacts to consider, you know, which might have a negative impact on the market. um, If, you know, for example, there's price inflation, commodities remain high um, and there might even be demand destruction. But for now, things things are still looking up. Um, If you look at the. Fundamentals, you know, there's there's still uh, low supply growth, demand is strong, and you have additional factors, supporting factors such as um, increased congestion, which will keep, you know, bulkers employed for longer, and the high bunker costs as well, which will result in a slowdown of the fleet, um, which will effectively shrink um, available supply tonnage. So um, at this time, it looks like there's more bulls than bears.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Nida. So optimism from the containers, optimism from the bulkers, which leads me on to Michelle, our markets editor, who I suspect is probably not going to be quite so optimistic when it comes to tankers.
0: Oh, you're right, Richard. There's absolutely no party here, just this massive come down. Um, in the words of a New York investment bank that's covering the, the, you know, the listed tanker companies, they've described rates as putrid and that seven of the eight listed tanker companies they cover are going to post losses in 2022. Um, It's not good. And the Ukraine invasion has just completely crushed expectations that, you know, the pace of oil demand growth is going to rise and help lift rates for crude and product tankers um, to end this protracted 18-month earnings slump that just continues into 2022. What more can I say? It's just not looking good. um, high oil prices kill oil demand, which reduces demand, especially for the larger tankers. And on top of that, there's quite a significant um number of new tankers delivering into the fleet this year. So you know we're going from bad to worse. but I have to add the caveat that who knows that this is just you've just got geopolitics and just a mess all around the world it it could turn next month i could be talking about you know the 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 best outlook for tankers in in the last in the next 10 years i doubt it but anything's possible at the moment
1: you never know here's a question though vlcc earners have been on their knees for as you say 18 months the rest of the market is suffering but the vl's are really suffering how have we not seen some of them go out of business yet.
0: Well, of course, we have the the um, what I call the subterfuge tanker fleet. And that's a fleet of about 220 tankers. A lot of them are really um, VLCCs. Um, and they are busy shipping uh, US-sanctioned Venezuelan and Iranian crude. And they have not, they, they usually would be scrapped. But this has been something that has managed to keep them in the market. And now they they take up about 3% of the total global global seaborne trade. So this has created, it's like a two-tiered market. And this is the other risk, is that um, if we have, at the moment, there are no direct sanctions on Russian oil. But if the US were to expand any sanctions, or if the EU decides that it wants to to, um, impose restrictions on Russian oil, this could perhaps um, increase this two-tier market because on top of the, um, the market for Iranian and Venezuelan crude, you could also see more divert to shipping Russian crude. So there's also that to add into the mix as well.
1: We shall look out for a conclusion to that one in our next Outlook podcast for now. Thank you, Michelle. Moving on to the new building situation. Amid all this chaos and some good, some bad, um, we have, of course, seen an uptick in terms of the orders. Um, Rob Wilmington, you have been looking at the uh, new building figures. Give us a very quick view uh, on, on what the order book is looking like and what we have yet to come uh, in, the, in the markets.
4: So the order book um so far this year has chiefly been driven by the container ship and LNG sectors. Um and interestingly, I think what we've seen is is perhaps since the start of last year is that is really the start of this sort of so-called green shipbuilding revolution, which by that I mean alternative fueled vessels. And I think this is a big um key for the, the push towards ordering new vessels currently. Um, we've seen Western owners in particular moving towards gas fueled vessels or methanol or ammonia-fueled ships, particularly in the box ship sector. Um, there's less of a take-up with, with the big Asian operators, but that may come. I think the reality is some owners are sort of dipping their toe into the water in terms of alternative fuels, but um, the reality is about Sixty percent of recent orders in the container sector have been alternative fuel ships. Um, in car carriers, it's been a hundred percent, and certainly less so in, in other sectors. But this is a, this is a, a very interesting time for the shipbuilding industry because it's 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 we're almost getting into a position of this. Uh, situation that the industry was in before the global financial crisis in between 2006 and 2008 when you had a huge surge in orders for ships. Um, The difference this time which is good news for the shipyards is there's a lot less capacity to build ships than there was during the previous super cycle which is good news for pricing for the shipyards because the fact is that very few shipyards are making a profit currently, It's is partly driven by high steel prices, um, which are obviously not going to go away, particularly due to the Ukraine crisis currently.
1: And that leads very nicely on to our final guest, um, Declan Bush, our sustainability editor. Now, in terms of that green shipbuilding revolution, when we were recording our last Outlook, Outlook podcast, There was, uh, you know, the focus was entirely on decarbonisation and uh, last year saw a huge amount of projects launched and various changes to the regulatory landscape to come. And yet this year it's all gone quiet, but there is still a lot of regulation in the pipeline. So give us an idea of of, of what we have to look out for in, in the regulatory world.
5: Yeah, that's right, Richard. There is a lot coming, but it's still a long way away, and most has maybe in the name. Um, the, the important thing to think about the the IMO regulations, particularly on greenhouse gases, which has always been the hot topic, um, none of them are up for a vote uh, in June, particularly the next meeting of the Marine Environment Protection Committee. So what we'll, what we'll expect to see is some of the same debates over uh, greenhouse gas emissions, um, Continuing very slowly with a lot of the same objections being raised chiefly by big oil producing uh, countries and some developing countries as well who are concerned about uh, the costs of any carbon taxes or emissions trading schemes being paid and fairly uh, around members of the world. Now, as we saw at COP26, which feels, I think you'll agree, a very long time ago. Um, this stuff is very hard to agree, and uh, I don't think we'll see any big movement there for many years to come. But what is on the, ag- on the agenda are some more, um, let's call them less contentious issues. We've got biofouling, scrubber water discharges, black carbon in the Arctic coming up again at the Pollution Subcommittee. Um, some of the safety matters that will be discussed in May include um, uh, removing requirements for outmoded um, positioning system, so some more more of the technical stuff that's not quite as politically contentious. Um, But then it may get interesting over in Brussels because the EU Parliament's Transport and Tourism Committee will be looking at the fuel EU maritime carbon intensity limit um, from around April 20, and that will go up for a vote on July 11th. And uh, for anyone who's been following fuel EU maritime as closely as I have, it is exciting stuff. Um, and we will get a good idea there of how much the industry's proposals on this have filtered their way through into uh, into what ultimately goes up before EU lawmakers. And from then it will just be like like with carbon taxes, a matter of, uh, countries all trying to get a sh- either a slice of the the revenue for themselves, um, exemptions for their own ships. You'll see little national rivalries start to poke uh, poke their way through, and yeah, it'll it'll that's that's for the parliament to decide. But in, uh, at least in the first half of the year, there are no major votes uh, or approvals or hard deadlines in terms of emissions laws. And while that does let owners and operators off the hook, at least in the short term, it does stop progress on things like future fuel engines, um, these sorts of partnerships being put in place and for, you know, getting, making serious moves on decarbonisation. So we'll, we'll continue to watch it closely.
1: And there we shall leave it for another week. Don't forget to check out the full Lois List Outlook, available on LoisList.com where we go through all of the main market sectors, as well as insurance, regulation, new buildings, and much more besides. Also check out our Ukraine coverage, where we offer a pretty unique data-led analysis of the market implications of Russia's war. The risk and compliance implications of the increasing morass of sanctions being levelled against Russia will be the topic for next week's podcast, where we'll go into some depth around what it means for shipping. But for now, thank you for listening and have a good week.